Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today on the show, we have a little bit of a different discussion. We have a guy with us named Jeff Schneider, new friend of mine, and he is the founder and president of a company called Royalty Exchange. What is Royalty Exchange? Pretty much like the eBay for buying and selling royalties. The focus is music. So if you're a songwriter and you have written some songs that have generated income in the last 12 months, then you can sell those as a part of a royalty catalog. And there are investors out there who will buy them. If you're an investor and a non-music person out there listening, then this is a brand new and exciting asset class that most people don't even know exists yet. So what Jeff Schneider and Royalty Exchange are doing is really the first of its kind. You go on and you do an auction, and I'll let him explain a little more about the mechanics of how it works, but it's a fantastic advantage to songwriters who can literally turn their ideas into gold or real estate or anything else that they want or cash. And for investors, it's a great income stream that you buy and you have pride of ownership knowing that maybe you own a Bee Gees song catalog or a... uh, Uh, a Kanye West song catalog. So this is what they do all day, every day. This is a fascinating interview, fascinating conversation. And I am just thrilled that I get to let you guys in on it a little bit so you can figure it out. So this one's a little bit advanced. If you're just brand new starting out in the industry, just bear with us, stick around to the end. There's a lot of good, very practical feedback too. It's not just about if you've been in it and you're making millions of dollars a year. We get into things like time management, entrepreneurship. We get into the idea of if you're an introvert, what do you do? Because as musicians, we have to learn how to promote and market ourselves and to brand ourselves and to not be afraid to do that. So there's some really good advice on that. And if you're a seasoned musician or artist or songwriter listening to this, this may be something that you want to strongly consider. You may even listen to this episode and get a few ideas to go and find maybe a million dollars worth of royalties that you didn't even know exist. So we talk a little bit about that and how they've been able to do that for some big artists out there. And if you're interested in investing in the field of music, but maybe don't have a musical skill in your life, this can be a fun way to get involved and it can pay well and it can be very rewarding to know that you own a piece of music that is changing the world. We often hear about song catalogs and song sales, like Michael Jackson selling his his catalog or Taylor Swift selling her catalog or uh, Timbaland selling his catalog. Well, this is the episode that breaks it all down, pulls back the curtain, and tells you exactly how it works. But before we jump in, here's just a quick announcement. So maybe you've heard of our Music Makers Boot Camp. We've received rave reviews already, and you might have been able to attend one of ours. We do them from time to time, a couple times a year in Franklin, Tennessee, good news is we have a waiting list up at fullcirclegoeslive.com because you'll be at the very front of the list and have priority access to tickets for the very next time that we announce one, which will be coming up very soon. So head over to fullcirclegoeslive.com. These events have been described as life-changing, as very helpful, as very tangible. We try to get the best industry experts together under one roof to come and share their insights and knowledge about the music business so it doesn't have to be some big secret, some big mystery. 
So that's the Music Makers Boot Camp, a condensed weekend of intense learning and education and networking. So check that out. It's at fullcirclegoeslive.com. Get on the waiting list and don't miss your opportunity to get to the next one. Coming to you live in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico on a cruise ship, here is Jeff Schneider, founder and president of Royalty Exchange. Here sitting on a cruise ship with my new friend Jeff Schneider here on the Full Circle Music Show. He is the president and founder of Royalty Exchange. And for those of you guys who have not heard about it, I'm just going to let him give you the backstory. What is Royalty Exchange? Why did you start it? When did you start it? How did you get into this business? Yeah, sure. Seth, thanks for for having me. This is a uh, first time here on this cruise, actually. I know you're uh, in a veteran here. But uh, Royalty Exchange really got started. It was, it was actually a little before me. Uh, it got started back in 2013. And we took over the business at the end of 2015 and really started putting a lot of energy into it uh, at the beginning of 2016. And, you know, the, the really, I guess, the two sides of it's a marketplace where people can buy and sell royalties. So, you know, musicians come to us in usually two different ways. Um, one is that if they do need some capital, then we'll help connect them with investors who can provide that. And, you know, some, some people are in straits, they in dire straits for money. Um, that's usually, that's about 20 or 25% of the people who come to us. But the other wet time and musicians usually come to us is if they're, you know, interested in really just financial diversification, if they're, uh, looking, you know, it's, if they're looking kind of into the future and they see that they're degrading, you know, royal, their royalty stream is degrading a little bit and they just want to capitalize on it now, we'll start having the conversation about how we can connect them up with investors. And then on the other side of the marketplace, you know, investors come to us because music and royalties is really a, it's what's called a non-correlated asset. So, you know, a lot of these investors are in, you know, the stock market or the bond market and all those things are at all time highs. And so they're looking for alternative assets that if those things crash, their investments may not. And so it's a, it's just an easy way for them to try to find you know cash flow in these non-correlated assets. So from a very basic no listener left behind level, can you explain what is a royalty stream? Because you're dealing mostly with music at this point, music-related royalty streams. I'm guessing that includes publishing sound exchange, maybe just break it down super basic. How do songwriters make money and how can they how can they sell their streams? So the easiest way to think of it is the way royalties work is you get royalties on your back catalog. And so there's kind of two ways. Well, actually, the future of music has come out and there's actually 40 plus ways that musicians make money. But to simplify that a little bit easier, you know, two ways that are pretty frequent is when an artist creates a catalog, you know, the back catalog then earns royalties. And so when it's used on Spotify, when it's used on the radio, if it's used in a TV show, all of that generates royalties from the musician's back catalog. And that's what we can work with. We only work with back catalog. We don't work with kind of future works. And that's one of the benefits for, for musicians is they don't have to so they're not selling all of their future works to a label or a publisher assuming a musician has kind of a back catalog that is earning royalties so it is being used in you know multiple places or streamed or played then 
you know, we've worked with a lot of different types of royalty streams. So whether it's the songwriters, the publishers, worked on both the composition copyright, the sound recording copyright. So we've worked with about 20, I think it was 21 different PROs or distributors to transfer. Obviously, the main ones are those who have signed up with ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. 21, I'm assuming that means international and because there's really only for again no listener left behind performance right organization is who collects your money every time a song gets played on the radio gets used in a tv spot a live performance etc cetera, etc cetera. so what are the other ones besides ascap csac and bmi are there additional ones that you work with yeah good question and that's uh most of the other ones we've worked with are more distributors like the tune cores or the distro kids but we've also worked directly with publishers so say a publisher or an admin company is collecting royalties from multiple streams on the artist's behalf then we'll we'll still be able to transfer directly with the publisher or the admin talk a little bit about uh sound exchange we we had a little bit of a conversation about this the other day and you told me something i was a little surprised on that you guys have actually taught people how to find royalties online that they may be missing yeah this is uh there's a funny story behind this as well but uh so just some backstory sound exchange is uh pays primarily pandora and sirius xm they pay many other uh streams but those are the biggest two and the good thing with as everything's moved to digital is everything is trackable you know where there's no kind of obscurity around what's being played and so sound exchange when they they receive money related to a song that's been played, Pandora, they'll hold it. It doesn't go into a black box of a calculation that then gets distributed out. So they'll hold on to the cap, or they'll hold on to the funds until the artist claims it. Uh, but the artist has to claim it, otherwise they don't know who owns it and who's you know who to pay. So they actually publish that every quarter. They publish people who they owe money to, and if you just go to Sound Exchange's website, it's all there for you. As we're talking to artists all day, every day, you know, one of the things we do for them is, you know, we ask them if they've signed up for sound exchanges. Some people never have. And, you know, we'll go actually go look and we've found, we have found some, some unclaimed checks from sound exchange for a couple artists. The interesting story about sound exchange is that an artist that we've worked with came to us uh, who had sound exchange royalties and he was a big proponent of it. He eventually uh, told us a story where he had gone to a party of a 70s artist. And you know, the 70s artist wasn't kind of fully on board with all of the digital streaming and things like that. And he started telling the 70s artist, you know, hey, my, you know, I'm getting royalties from all these different sources, and most of them are declining over time. But there's one place, Sound Exchange, where they just keep going up. And the artist had never heard of it, so he started kind of educating and, and telling the artist about it. Well, two days later, after the party, he gets a call from, from the artist's assistant and says, hey, can you stop back over at the house? You know, we're, we, we don't know what that is, and we'd like to sign up for it. So he shows back up at the house, takes him through the sign-up process. It's really just a basic online form if you haven't signed up for Sound Exchange, And... Uh, just, I think it was probably a few months later, gets a check for over $2 million because of, because sound exchange had actually held on to all of the, the payments that they had 
owed to him over the last several years of being played on Pandora and uh, Sirius XM. Why do your songwriters and music makers sell their catalog in the first place if they're you know, making such a large uh, royalty stream? Why would they want to sell? Yeah, great question. And this is what we, I think every artist is a little different. Kind of three main reasons why artists have a tendency to sell with us. You know, the first is that they're just looking for diversification. So in the same way that an investor doesn't just put all of their money into a single stock, walk away and you know, just hope it goes well. You know, the, I think musicians have, you know, musician, some musicians look to do the same thing. They realize that all of their assets are built into the music business and they're just looking to take a little bit of money off the table and diversify out of that. And one of the ways we help them is just by, you don't have to sell a hundred percent of your back catalog. You can sell a portion. You can identify a few songs that you want to sell. And um, so we're, we're pretty flexible in that fashion. You know, the second is if they're looking to make a very specific purchase that they think is helpful to their career or to their financial well-being. You know, we've had people come to us who are looking to buy a house. Uh, they just want to grow or they want to build a studio or they're heading out on tour and they don't want to take kind of a high interest rate loan or have to give up a big percentage of their tour income. They leverage a bit of their back catalog enough to finance something in particular. And then the third reason from a financial standpoint, and this is more of a tax related, but as you get income every year related to your royalties, that's all taxed at regular income tax rates, which in most states is about varies between 35 and 45%, depending on where you're living. The interesting part is if you actually sell your royalties or a percentage of your royalties, you actually get capital gains rates, which is half of that. It's 15 to 20%. So it's a, it's a much easier kind of burden not only do they get a lump sum but they're paying lower taxes so so talk about it from an investor standpoint why do investors buy it are is there surety in the fact that the royalty trail is not going to taper off or how do you ensure that for your investors yeah so i think all of that is a is a price question but pr investors primarily come to us because they are looking for something that's outside of the stock market they're looking for an alternative asset and really, most importantly, they are looking for cash flow yield. And so, you know, how they look at it is, you know, they basically, they recognize that it may taper off. As many catalogs do, there is kind of a, a tapering off. And that's why we've seen, you know, in terms of what investors pay, it'll vary significantly depending on the music. So music that's a bit newer and doesn't have like a really long track record often will go for a lower valuation, which is basically a valuation, what I'm talking about is it's how much you made in the last 12 months multiplied by a certain factor. So multiplied by two or three or four. So newer music may go for a slightly lower multiples, um, but we've had stuff, you know, like Barry White and your Bee Gees and your Rhythmics that's gone for over 10 times the last year's earnings. So if they had made $10,000, it went for 100000 So it's just a matter, it's a risk question for the investors. So it's not a matter of whether it will go up or down. It's just a matter of what does history show and how can they predict and understand what it may look like in the future. And just uh, they'll adjust their valuation based on that. One way that we make sure this marketplace is kind of healthy is that all of these deals in the past have been done kind of behind closed doors or their handshake deals or their they're kind of all or nothing deals where it's just like, 
this is my offer to you. If you need the money, take it. If you don't, don't kind of thing. Um, what we do is is an auction format. So we have 17,000 investors, and that helps make sure that you get fair value for it. So we're not the ones telling you how much it's worth. It's uh, it's just a matter of it's the marketplace that does that. And what we're trying to do is just provide an avenue to make sure that the artist gets what it's worth and not just some closed-door deal that is, has usually been unfavorable for them. Along with that, is there a minimum so the artist would you know not just put it on there and get five dollars for their for their catalog? I assume they're able to set a minimum, and also speak to what some of the typical multiples that you're seeing are on uh, catalog sales. Sure, I guess there's two minimums to think about. First is we do work with artists who have over a thousand dollars of of income in terms of their back catalog over the last twelve months, so. That's kind of the first thing to consider if uh, if you are thinking about kind of selling any part of your back catalog. That's that's what we look for. And then what we do from there is we gather kind of all of the historical payment information that they have available. And then we'll have a conversation with them about how the investors may view it. And as a part of that, what we'll do is make sure we come to an agreement before we decide to proceed what the minimum that they would be willing to accept. So that way, you know, we don't want an investor to come in and lowball anybody. So that's the the general theory that we use to proceed is, you know, we'll work with you to to tell you how they may view it and what price that they that we think it makes sense to start at. And the the fun thing with the auction dynamic is that, you know, in in some ways, the lower you start it, the more investors you get interested, and the more investors who do their diligence, and then they start competing for it. So, in so it, it is a kind of a strange dichotomy that investors always want a good deal, right? So, the lower that we've seen people start it, usually the more successful they are at auction because more investors are involved in the auction, more investors are engaged and have have done their research because they looked at it and said, "Man, I would definitely want to own that," and now they're committed. That's a part of the auction psychology that's a little different. So we talk with everybody about that as well. You also asked about multiples. I'll tell you, I wish I could answer that question very cleanly. I mean, we've had things that go for as low as like one time last year's earnings, but as high as 12 times. And the biggest difference is, you know, the artists that they're associated with, the the tenure, the longevity of the earnings. You know, the thing that went for just one time's earnings was it was a production music catalog that really only generated revenue through one song that was used in an infomercial all over the world. So if that song, if that infomercial gets pulled, earnings basically go down to zero. So it was a risky bet for the investor. On the other side, we've had things trade over 10 times for things like Kanye West, George Clinton, you know, Bee Gees Rhythmics and Barry White. So it's just a, and so everything in between, I, I, on average, I guess is probably helpful. On average, we've, we're about five and a half or so times the last 12 months' earnings. Have you guys started selling any YouTube royalties yet, or is that too new of a thing for investors to understand? We have not sold any individual channels. We have evaluated a few. The main thing that we always want to make sure of is that there are clean rights, you know, so that you know, we there's no real title insurance in uh, the way there is in the property world uh, with music. So we always want to make sure that there's clean rights. Uh, so we, we haven't done any YouTube channels yet. We've evaluated several of them. We haven't done any yet. But what we will have coming up is uh, YouTube royalties 
that's kind of a part of a bigger, which includes, you know, this, uh, it's a musician who signed a larger label deal, um, and his previous label just wants to finance new, uh, an upcoming artist. So they're selling the, the works and the copyrights and all of the income streams associated with his initial album. So that includes, uh, basically YouTube royalties collected by Live Nation. Um, so for those of you who you know, are looking for like YouTube collection companies, Audium is a, is a large one. And then Live Nation does have a service that'll collect uh, YouTube, whether it's placed by you or it's actually other users end up using your music and their videos, they'll collect on that as well. I love this whole concept. It's all about intellectual property that an artist can make a song sell it it'll make them money they can later turn around and sell the catalog and quite literally cash in on it and turn it into gold so it's literally you can turn your nothing into owning something as tangible as real gold so at what point does it make sense for an artist to sell because i'm sure there's kind of a sweet spot maybe where you wouldn't want to sell right at the beginning when a song has just came out on the radio is there a strategy for that good question so we have, uh, I would say, the musicians who have done the best on the platform uh, have typically sold at two points. The first is actually kind of right at the beginning because when a song is released to when royalties actually first coming in is usually a pretty long delay. It's about six months. We have had some people come to us who, you know, they've actually never gotten paid on a song we can look at the charts and say, well, this song was, was on the radio charts for five weeks and it's, you know, has this many plays on YouTube and Spotify. We can gather that evidence, you know, and it's related to a large musician. So we've definitely done this, I th believe, with Chris Brown, I think two or three different Chris Brown songs. That's one place. And, and I will say as, as much as investors love cash flow and diversification, investors generally like a good speculation. We have seen those people do pretty well, but it's only when we can look at it and see that it's been on the radio, that we have something to compare it to, that know that the royalty checks are going to come. Other than that, kind of the second best opportunity is if there is, you know, four or five years worth of history where we can see what the royalty stream looks like. And usually after a song's released, it takes four or so years for it to kind of level out after, you know, and then... And then the checks become a little bit more consistent or at least start kind of degrading at a pretty consistent level. Those are kind of the two best that where investors are willing to pay the highest multiple is kind of right at the beginning where there is a little there's definitely a lot of risk to the investor and speculation. But, you know, they're making that bet. And the musicians have been very happy when we've done that. Um, and then the second is when there is a long kind of history, uh, longer period of history. But if there is only like a year and a half to two years of history, it, it is hard for an investor to really make an intelligent judgment and be willing to pay a premium. So those are the two that I think is definitely the best for musicians. So you're not coming from a music background. Based off of just some of our conversations, I've, I've known that you've been involved in several businesses and very entrepreneurial. What are some things that you have learned about the music industry since coming into it? Yeah, good question. And I, not being from the music business, I will say that there's a, in some ways, there's a stigma that the music business is like a machine 
of, uh, you know, and actually there's a book out there called The Song Machine that I had read. So as being an outsider and starting to learn kind of all of the process associated with actually developing and creating music. I mean, you think that most music is created just with, a, you know, starting on a guitar and singing some songs or writing some lyrics down. And maybe that's how it starts. But then there's a huge process to actually create what anybody hears. And I think that's been, that's definitely helped change the opinion from that song machine to really more of an, it's, it is a truly creative piece of art. And the, and the people in the business are extremely talented. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely been a big one for me. I've always appreciated music, but I've enjoyed music, I guess I should say. But this has helped me appreciate it even more. So other than that, I think there's been, you know, the music business has been through a lot in the last 20 years. You know, if you look at the songwriting profession as a whole, you know, there's been a lot of struggles as things have moved from kind of a radio marketplace to more of a digital marketplace and selling CDs to more of streaming. And so I think the, you know, that has finally tapered off. Uh, you know, the bleeding has finally tapered off. And beginning in 2015, the music business has actually started growing again. And, you know, one thing that I am most excited about for the music business is that over the last 10 years, you know, music listening has really become decentralized. So a musician now can control their career in many ways that they couldn't 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you had to sign your life away to a big label. You had to sign, I mean, you had to sign these deals where there was a lot of financial risk for the label, you know, and that's why the deals were, were the way they were. But you could really only get picked up through the label or through radio or through a big publisher. You know, now a musician can, you know, with the, with the power of streaming and social and touring, you know, they can really control their own destiny. We've worked with a few, several artists who have taken that approach. And it's been really interesting to see where, you know, the opposite effect of what we're talking about, that degradation curve where a song is really big at first and then it starts not getting played on the radio and the earnings decline really aggressively, almost 40% a quarter, you know, as things stop getting played on the radio to, you know, an artist who has started from nothing and they've they've used the grassworks, you know, grassroots marketing and the social and everything that they've earned is through streaming and their earnings just keep growing every quarter. And so that's been, uh, it's been really interesting. I mean, heck, we have a, a Grammy Award winner with Chance the Rapper who's never sold a CD before. You know, that's, those are things that the music business couldn't have thought about, I'm sure maybe even five years ago, that now today is, is reality for them. That's good. That's, that's always hopeful because I, I know a lot of our listeners or maybe songwriters out there who are really just kind of scared of what's the future of the music business. How do you make money with Spotify and Pandora. And I think there's a lot in in the media, probably intentionally, that is doom and gloom about the music business. And it, it granted, it is hard, and there d still does need to be some change for legislation to catch up to where we're at in 2017. Uh, so I'd love to chat a little bit about, because as a musician and as a music maker, you really have to think like an entrepreneur. You have to think like a business person, especially when you're starting out. You're wearing five, ten different hats. And I know that you've done a really good job and are doing a really good job today. You've been a part of several successful businesses. So can you speak to focus, maybe uh, 
you know, time management and how do you balance all the different ventures? Because Royalty Exchange is just one of many things that you do. This is the ever haunting question, I think, for most entrepreneurs or people who are trying to get started doing their own thing. Um, and I think the, the easiest way to think about it is you have to have a primary thing. You know, and Royalty Exchange is my primary thing. There are a lot of other things that I may be curious about. But when I wake up in the morning, I know what I need to do. I know what I'm going to be working on. And that's Royalty Exchange. The other things that I'm curious about, I can spend a little bit of time on here and there. I try to acquire and develop the skills. But I think having a primary focus, because that way, in that primary, having a single thing to think about means that you know what to work on that day. Or if you if there's a lull in the day, you can start thinking, well, hold on, I know what my focus is. So you, you can kind of get back to what what that focus is. Other than that, I think it's a matter of, I can't say I'm a big goal setter, actually. Because I think... I think I don't know what's possible six months from now. I have general directions that I want to take my life. I have general directions in terms of, you know, all the major areas of healthy, wealthy, wise, you know, those types of things. I have a general path, but I actually, I think if I were to set a goal of what is possible six months from now, I may achieve it in three months. And then why did I set the goalpost? I do kind of check-ins every six months to make sure that I'm directionally right. I think if I had only set very specific goals every six months, I'd probably be in a much smaller world because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have forced myself to expand my thinking and be open to recognizing the fact that that what's possible is is not even known to you right now. Can you break it down more day to day? I mean, there's always 50 things that we could do every day and there's always 50 interruptions. How do you plan out your days, your action steps, your just you know, one little thing at a time. Yeah, I, I need to steal from uh, a guy named Craig Ballantyne on this one. And, and I, I have to say, I've worked with Craig Ballantyne in the past, um, and he, he has a book out there called The Perfect Day. And, you know, that book is, is actually really great for creators, um, people who have a little bit of kind of focus around what their top priority may be. Um, and one of the things that that uh, he and I, as that book was being developed, talked about is kind of what he calls the 3C formula. So it's um, conquer your morning, control the chaos, and then concentrate on what counts. And if you think about every day, that's often the way your day flows. So in the morning, when you're first getting started, you, you kind of have control over that. And so you have to, you just have to conquer it. You have to look at it as like, this is my, this is my kind of, he calls it magic time. This is my time to shine. And you have to be really focused. You have to protect that kind of part of your day. And then, you know, in the afternoons or mid mornings or whenever, things will become chaotic. And that's when, that's when you have more interruptions. That's when you have to have meetings. That's when, you know, you have to run errands, whatever it may be. And that's just more about kind of, um, you know, letting that chaos be there, re- recognize that it's going to happen. Um, so you just have to kind of control it a little bit. And then in the evenings when you are at home with family, rather than, you know, always being, being there but not being present, 
Um, you know, and that's about concentrating on what, what matters and what counts. And that's when, you know, spend the time with a family or focus on kind of reading books or whatever kind of other new skills that you want to achieve. So breaking the day into those three and, and has been really helpful that obviously Craig has given me that kind of foundation, but I, I definitely use that every day. I know you and I are both kind of uh, cut from the same cloth in the sense that we're both introverts. And a lot of our audience out there is musicians who are just naturally not extroverted people. They'd rather sit in a room, in a dark room, in a studio and create music and explore and, you know, explore the space. But uh, can you speak to how yourself as an introvert have kind of overcome that because you have to have enough of a degree of being able to promote and market to have any level of success, not only in music, but just business and life in general? Yeah, good question. And I would actually, I think this is probably a better question for you. Uh, because I last night, uh, for those listening, Seth was on stage playing and, and I was sat there. I was the one sitting in the corner, actually, of all places. And I was looking up at Seth going, man, I would never do that, you know? And so <laughs> that's how introverted I normally am. But, uh, you know, so I, I just think as, you know, the, the, there's not a lot of skill, you know, you have to force yourself. You have to recognize that there's, there are few moments and there are few opportunities that do matter. And you have to push yourself to put on a character. And that's one way that I kind of do it is, um, you know, I'm naturally, if I could just read all day and work all day, basically alone, I would be very happy. Um, but I will say I'm, I am naturally very curious and so part of what I, what I like to do is just go, you know, there with all of the people out there, they have a story and just try to understand more about them and let that curiosity, that makes me want to engage in conversation with them rather than just be sitting in my room alone. That's a great answer. Uh, as we're wrapping up, what are some books that you're reading right now, or maybe your last favorite one that you read that you feel like our listeners need to read? So, uh, books I'm reading right now that wouldn't quite be related is one is called management myths. Um, that is, you know, not super relevant to the music business, but it's a, it's an old consultant who kind of throws a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of water on the fire of these consultants who think they know everything. Um, so it's, it's kind of a contrarian. It's a fun, it's a fun read. Um, Um, I'm trying to think of the one, uh, hold on. So was there one that like jumped out to you this year? I'm trying to think of the name. Yeah. yeah. Because it is absolute value. That's what it is. Okay. okay. You know, the, I think the one book that is probably really interesting and relevant would be one called absolute value. And what it, what it's looking at is that, you know, the, the, Ad, kind of the advent, the invent of or the bringing on of Amazon has really changed the way people have kind of purchased their purchasing behavior and their consumer behavior. And so it, it talks a lot about like rating systems and why they matter so much and how 
you know, believe it or not, if you all a lot of the the research that's been done on like pricing and these things that you know we see every day as consumers are all in fact irrelevant when Amazon came along and within five seconds anybody can go to Amazon and see how many stars things have. So I think um, you can certainly take lessons from that book and apply it into the music business. It's um, and you know all it's all a matter of social proof. You know, and social proof is huge, uh, both in the music business and how we engage and and buy things every day. And um, as we're wrapping up, last question: We always ask this to all the people that are on our podcast. Uh, what's one thing that you, knowing what you know now, wish you could go back and tell the eighteen-year-old Jeff Schneider before jumping into business, entrepreneurship, and royalty exchange where you're at now? That is a deep question that I wasn't quite prepared for. Uh, but you know, one thing that I think that is, is, I I certainly wish I knew then. You know, I've is that selling is a skill, and um, you know, being extroverted sometimes you have to put that on. You know, you asked about how to kind of force an introvert to go out, and it's the easiest way I I think somebody could do that is by learning some basic selling skills. You know, when I was younger, 18. I, I was like working retail at Circuit City, which aren't even around anymore. Um, and I, I didn't recognize actually that selling was a skill. I started picking up and, and they taught you certain sales tactics that I didn't quite know were tactics. Um, and then my major was in finance. So I didn't think, I didn't even connect the two dots until about seven or eight years later when I started down the entrepreneurship path. And then I started picking up Dan Kennedy books who talks about selling a lot. And you realize that it is a skill. It can be learned. You know, the extroversion can be forced, you know, and it's by learning how to sell, it gives you a lot of conversational points and topics and things like that, that helps you identify how conversations flow a lot better. And that's, that's one thing that if I knew that 20 years ago, I would have been much better off today. I'm going to encourage our listeners to take that a step further and, and go check out those the, the books that you, that you mentioned with that. I think selling is one of those things that in the music business, people don't realize, but you have to be good at selling. You're, if you're in a co-write, you have to sell your idea to your co-writer. If you're on stage, you're selling your songs and your story and your brand. If you're walking into a label meeting, you're selling yourself as an artist. So sales really does apply to everything. Parenting, actual retail sales, it applies everywhere. So thanks for sharing that with us. And uh, thanks for being here with us on Full Circle Music Show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. If any of this has sounded interesting to you and you want more information on either buying or selling a catalog, text the word ROYALTY, R-O-Y-A-L-T-Y, to the numbers 44222. Text ROYALTY to the numbers 44222.
And we'll make sure that you can get in touch with Royalty Exchange if you're interested from an investor standpoint or if you're interested in selling your catalog. Even if you've made as little as $1,000 in the last year off of your catalog, then you are eligible to apply for this. And you can sell your catalog and take a, uh, take a, and take the tax benefit. So if you're interested in getting information on either buying or selling through Royalty Exchange, text Royalty, R-O-Y-A-L-T-Y, to the numbers 44222. This show is produced by the Full Circle Music Company. Head over to fullcirclegoeslive.com to register for our next boot camp. And head over to iTunes. Leave us a good rating and a good review and subscribe. We will see you next week on the Full Circle Music Show.